Talk Description to Me with Christine Malik and J.J. Hunt. Hi, I'm Christine Malik. And I'm J.J. Hunt. This is Talk Description to Me, where the visuals of current events and the world around us get hashed out in description-rich conversations. Before we begin today, I would like to remind everyone that we are on Clubhouse and we will be hosting our first event on Thursday, May 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And it's called Describing the Invisible Universe, and our special guest will be Kim Arkand of the Chandra Observatory, and we'll be talking about the work that they're doing to make astronomy more accessible. So we're going to combine Kim's uh, subject matter expertise with JJ's describing, and it's going to be awesome. So if you are on Clubhouse, please look for us at Talk Description to Me, and uh, join us for our event on May 20th. There's a a significant way in which our podcast got started just by describing COVID and the look of the streets and the world in COVID. That was what got JJ and I thinking about describing current events. And so this week we want to revisit that because it's been over a year. And although at the time it would have been impossible to believe we're still, uh, we're still in the midst of, of COVID events. And so we want to do a little uh, survey around the world of images from different places. And since JJ and I are in Toronto, we thought we would start here, partly because I want to get this, this grumpy thing out of the, out of the way. It's a, we are still very much in, uh, in lockdown, stay-at-home order. So every part of the world is in a different place around the pandemic, which is kind of what got us thinking about this, that different countries are approaching it differently. So uh, JJ and I here in Toronto are still hunkered down at home. There's no restaurants. Uh, there's no salons. There's there's very little, yeah, to to recommend the city at the moment as a fun place to be. So JJ, can we start with some of the visuals that you're seeing as the, uh, as the spring opens up here, but everything else is staying closed? As you say, spring is spring is sprung and I walk a lot. That's one of the only things we can do right now is get out and walk, right? We can't go into movie theaters. We can't go into restaurants and cafes. It's so it's outdoors and it's walking. And so I walk through a lot of West End Toronto neighborhoods and I have noticed some changes over the year, right? The, the, the way people were behaving on this in the street at the beginning of the pandemic and the way people are behaving now is a little bit different. So, um, you know, when when passing people on the sidewalk, I've noticed that a lot of people, uh, a lot of sighted people would, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic would step off the curb and into the street to avoid passing someone too close, right? Or maybe do the zigzag from one side of the street to another. So if you're walking down the street and someone's coming toward you on the sidewalk, you zigzag across the street to the other side of the street until someone approaches in that direction. Then you zigzag back. A lot of that zigzagging back and forth. But while people were doing that at the beginning of the pandemic, I noticed that 
there was a lot, there was extra nods and smiles or hellos, a little extra wave to people, even beyond the kind of forced, pleasant demeanor that Canadians are often teased for, right? We would be compensating for the lousy feeling that comes with avoiding people by being extra polite. Hello, how you doing? It's not you. It's the pandemic. You know, it's that kind of thing. But now I'm noticing that people are tired and people are maybe a little bit more suspicious of each other because some people aren't following social distancing rules and norms, right? And so now we are still zigzagging. We are still stepping into the street to avoid people on sidewalks. But now maybe we're looking away. We're not waving and smiling. Now maybe people, I'm watching people hold their breath. I do this a little bit too, I'm afraid. Whereas you're passing someone in the street, you kind of tighten up and you hold your breath. You keep your head down. You're not making that kind of contact with anyone as if, I mean, it's absurd, as if making a friendly eye contact or, or sharing a little wave is somehow contagious. It's silly. It's But that's, I think, maybe a little bit of where we're at. So that kind of vibe as I'm walking through the city is definitely noticeable. The visuals of that, the feeling of that for sure are noticeable. I remember talking to you um, after one of the press conferences in which we got some some very strict lockdown instructions and we I should say we're having a lot of variant issues here which is why things are so bad um and I remember you remarking that the next day in walking in your morning walk people just looked upset yeah that really struck me yeah people have been looking really despondent and really and angry there's like I'm also finding as I'm walking past people uh, you, you know how you catch just snippets of conversations as you're walking past people on the sidewalk? You get two or three sentences. And over and over and over again, as I would pass people on the sidewalk, um, you'd hear just a little bit of that check-in. Like, well, what do you think of this? I can't believe we're still doing that. Can you believe they made this rule irregular? And there's a lot of anger and frustration. And you can you can see that tension in the way people are carrying themselves, the way they are holding their bodies close and tight and the way they are reacting to others on the street, the way they are communicating with each other. If they're walking in pairs or in small you know, family groups, it's tense. It really is tense. And what else are you seeing on the streets in the city? Well, it's interesting to see how public spaces are being occupied. So parks continue to be packed, especially spring comes around. And they they were, you know, pretty busy throughout the winter. But as spring comes along, uh, lots and lots of people in parks. And it is kind of like when you go to a park, it's now it's a little bit like when you go to a beach when you're on vacation and you have to find and occupy your own personal space. So, you, you know, it starts off with everyone spread out and then, and more people come and they put their picnic blanket or their towel down, uh, you know, equidistant to all the other groups. And now you've filled in those gaps and then, and then more people come and they fill in the gaps between them. And so you end up with this, uh, you know, the, the, this spread on lawns and in parks where people try and keep some distance by filling in the spaces between other groups. The photos, I, I always like to mention this, the photos, if taken from above of these crowded parks, they show that 
that distance between the groups of people. Um, but when you take photos across a busy park or a busy beach or a sidewalk or something, it, it's really deceptive. It makes the, dis the distances between groups appear much smaller. That point of view really changes things. So newspaper photos that have drone footage or satellite footage from above, much more trustworthy to, to figure out whether or not people are socially distanced. And then the, the way others public spaces like residential alleyways, there are a lot of those in, in, in my neighborhood in Toronto where there are um, alleyways that lead to people's garages behind houses. And those are often packed with kids on scooters and bikes, you know, zipping back and forth, often wearing their COVID masks um, and people gathering for a couple of drinks uh, in, in the garage or, uh, you know, on the front porches and really any outdoor space that can be occupied now is occupied. There's an unused restaurant patio that's at the end of my street. This is just for a restaurant that's not currently occupied. And people have have dragged like a strange mismatched collection of old lawn chairs and side tables and just left them there. And now people hang out there a lot of the day and into the evening. We've we've nicknamed it the piazza and uh, <laughs> so, like, so people go and hang out there and you know, mostly it's okay. Mostly it's just people trying to find ways to connect with each other and spread out a little bit. So that's what you do. You create your own piazza. In talking about getting ready for this episode, um, we understood clearly that it would be disrespectful and lacking in compassion not to acknowledge the worst thing that's going on in the world around COVID, which is the situation in India. And we talked at some length and with difficulty about how to cover it, um, how to talk about it. And um, JJ, maybe you can sort of try to sum up what we were, th what our thoughts are on how to how to talk about this this situation. Yeah, it's been a real, it's been a struggle to figure out how to cover this. Um, you know, we, you and I have both talked about not wanting to be quite so North American and Eurocentric, uh, and especially with regards to this global pandemic. And the story in India right now is the global pandemic story. And truly, there's a very important visual component to this story, and it, it absolutely fits our mandate. But the visuals are, they're terrible. They're, they're agonizing and they're crushing. I mean, wrapped bodies lined up in the streets, mass funeral pyres, people weeping. It's just, it's, it's awful. And while it's true there there may be some benefit to describing those images in detail, um, you know, perhaps descriptions of the ongoing horrors will help people make their own decisions about wearing masks or to make their own decisions about where to donate their time or their money or their energy. It might even add to conversations about vaccines and variants and very real global resource inequality, which is a serious issue. All of those things might be true, but the fact is spending time considering and describing and discussing those images, it has a real emotional cost, right? Both for us, for you and I, and also a real cost for the listeners too. And one of the things, of course, Chris, that you and I talked about is that we are all a little bit closer to the edge than is comfortable right now, right? We're all feeling the strain of this situation. So, what we've decided to do is instead of describing the horrific visuals to convey the magnitude of the situation in India, we're going to try and describe some of the charts and graphs 
that visualize the staggering data. And our hope is that this will properly convey the severity of this surge and the weight of the moment without trotting on any of our already fragile mental health. There's no right or wrong yeah. choice. This is just how JJ and I have decided to approach it. And so um, it's no intention of disrespect for the, the genuine human yeah. suffering. Um, but I, I think JJ expressed it very well. And so this this is the way that we have chosen. So I guess we want to just offer our any apologies to anyone who feels that this was not the right choice of how to talk about India. So um, JJ, walk us through some of the, the data visualizations that you've seen. Reuters, the news agency, has on their website a, a, a COVID-19 tracker, and they've got lots of interactive graphs and charts. You can um, plug in various locations, and they'll give you um, information that's that's current and up-to-date in the form of these interactive graphs and charts. So the most straightforward uh, graphs uh, are, are the line graphs that track new infections and daily deaths. The bottom of these graphs on the horizontal axis is a line that tracks the date, and it goes from December 31st, 2020 on our left, all the way to May 10th, 2021 on our right. And the vertical axes, which are on our right, they track uh, numbers. So we've, we've got two different graphs here. One tracks the daily infections, uh, and that's by the 100,000. And the other gr uh, graph tracks daily deaths, and that's by the 1,000. And then there's a yellow line that tracks these numbers, and it, you know, bobs along uh, along this graph. So the yellow line that tracks the numbers line up very closely on these two different graphs, um, the one tracking uh, new infections and the one tracking deaths, daily deaths. They line up very closely on the two different graphs. From December to March 2020, the line is flat along the horizontal axis in both. So um, no infections, no deaths. This is uh, you know, December to March 2020. And then from about March to May, the infections start to rise. So first into the hundreds and then into the thousands. But the numbers are so low compared to the scale on the vertical axis that the line still looks virtually straight along the bottom of the graph. And that's the same with the graph mapping, uh, the, graph mapping the deaths, right? It's not until June if 2020, that the um, that the yellow line starts to rise. And it, what it does is it creates a small mountain on both of the graphs. On each one of the graphs, the line rises up, hits a peak, and then begins to fall again. The peak is almost 100,000 new infections on September 16th, 2020, and almost uh, or a little over 11,000 deaths for about the same time, September 2020. And in both cases, those little mountain shapes reach the lowest number that's indicated on the vertical axis. So about 100,000 and about 1,000. And then the line gradually falls back down and hovers just above the horizontal axis from January to March 2021. But then by April 2021, the line shoots up. I mean, truly, nearly vertically on each one of the graphs, the lines that shoot up reach four times higher on the vertical axis than those mountains that peaked in December. So at the beginning of March 2021, there were 12,000 new daily infections and under 100 deaths. 
by the beginning of May, over 400,000 new infections and over 4,000 daily deaths. So these lines shoot straight up four times higher than the previous peak. And if you zoom in really close on the data, you can see that there may be one or two reporting periods that indicate that the numbers might now be dropping, but the drop is too small to register visually. Straight up, the line is straight up, 400,000 new infections, 4,000 daily deaths. Obviously, you've been looking at visualizations from many places over the course of the year. So just to put it in context, this, does this look like any other visualization you've seen from anywhere else? It's interesting. Different, The way different uh, waves register in different places is, is really quite different. So in some places, you have distinct peaks for wave one and wave two and wave three. In some cases, you have a very few, like a very small peak for wave one or wave two, but wave three is a big peak and that's a big mountain. It's really, it's really interesting how these, this particular, these two charts look very different from place to place. A good way to compare, um, there's, there's another graph, another data representation to provide a more global context. So near the bottom of the webpage are a series of these gray horizontal bars with fine vertical white lines that cross the, 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 cross the horizontal bar. And I'll look at one that breaks down, um, that's just labeled deaths globally. So this tracks all deaths death in, um, in different countries uh, around the world. The white lines represent the number of deaths in each individual country. So each country that has reported COVID number death tolls is assigned a separate thin white line. Countries with zero deaths, their lines are at the left edge of the gray bar. That's the start of the bar. And then the country with the most deaths, that's the far right. That marks the end of the bar. So this representation is all about relativity fewest COVID deaths to the most COVID deaths. At the left, nearest zero, there are a cluster of white lines. So many white lines that the bar actually looks white. And if you move the pointer over this little area, the countries that are that are here and their exact death tolls associated, are they'll pop up. And this cluster of white lines occupies maybe the first tenth of the bar. So this, these are countries that have had between zero and 20,000 deaths. And then if you move toward the right from about that one-tenth of the way along the bar to maybe a quarter of the way along the bar, that area there have lines that are sp- spread out a little bit, but they're still gathered together. So there's still, there's gray, um, uh, you know, empty space between them, but they're still gathered together. And here, deaths range from 25,000 in Belgium to almost 130,000 in the UK. And then there's a big gap. If you move toward the middle of the bar, there's a great big gap until you reach about the middle. And here there are three lines, Mexico, has almost 220,000, India has almost 250,000, and Russia has just over 250,000. That's more or less the middle of this bar. And then there's another big gap as you move to the right, and about three quarters of the way along that bar is one line, a single line, Brazil, 422,000 deaths. And then all the way at the end of the line, the very last line that marks the end of the bar, that's the United States, 582,000 deaths. 
Thank you for the time that you spent looking at that. It's uh, they're, they're numbers when you say them, but we all know what they mean. Exactly. And that's really hard to, exactly. to be focusing your energy on. When I look on Twitter and other social media, it's clear that everywhere is, is at a different place uh, in terms of what's going on. So in Toronto, you can't eat out on a patio, but in Spain, they're having concerts. And so <laughs> that's, in a way, that's what got me thinking about this episode is that the range of uh, how people are living these days. And so I think, JJ, you were able to get some really good images from the UK about that. I got some fantastic images. So I started flipping through online photos. I, I googled like pandemic life UK and just looked through photos and and I was seeing some interesting images, but I wasn't sure if they were actually representative of what was going on. So I thought, you know what, uh, I'm going to reach out to uh, to someone in the UK. So I flipped through my International League of Extraordinary Describers Rolodex, and <laughs> I, I, I contacted uh, a lovely colleague uh, and Twitter friend in London, Roz Chalmers, and I asked her if, if there were any UK pandemic visuals that she thought we could talk about. And she emailed us a wonderful list complete with photos and some of her thoughts. It was just lovely of her to take the time. So thank you very much, Roz. Just so great of you. Um, and, and so she sent a couple of things. She sent some before and after pictures of Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar Square, of course, is a very famous uh, square in central London, often visited by tourists, used for community gatherings, political demonstrations, protests, just a big open square with a, there are two matching fountains in the square, some statues, a, a pillar monument. And pre-pandemic, um, this space would generally be packed with people. It's a bustling place, lots of traffic whipping about, people meeting and gathering, going in and out of the National Gallery. But in the pandemic picture that Roz sent me, it looks it looks empty. Like, really, this is a, a the photo she sent is a middle of a bright and sunny day. But there are only a handful of people standing at one of the fountains. And there are a few people crossing this vast expanse of what I think is like gray concrete. It just looks very, very quiet. Um, Roz also drew my attention to um, an anti-lockdown protest in London, uh, the Unite for Freedom protest, which was, uh, I believe, last week. And of course, there have been sporadic anti-lockdown, anti-mask protests all over the world. Anywhere where people have the legal right to protest, there have been protests. I've seen photos and news of protests from, you know, Canada, the U.S., across the U.K., um, and, and people are often carrying signs that say things like, my body, my choice, shut your face, wash your hands, stay afraid, or freedom is non-negotiable. Um, and, and the people at these protests, they, you know, just scanning these photos, they appear to be of different ages. They're wearing clothing of different styles. Um, but I should, it's worth noting that scanning the photos, the protesters do seem to be predominantly white. One of the things that made these recent Unite for Freedom protests notable was that some of the people involved chose to wear yellow stars of David to express the idea that they had been persecuted. And I didn't know if this was just a terrible one-off choice or part of a greater movement. So I dug around a little bit and I found a few other images in the press. There were a handful of anti-vaccination protesters who wore the Star of David in the Czech Republic back in January, and a few folks in Avignon, France, who wore these yellow stars reading Non Vaccine. 
and of course, these stars are modeled after the yellow badges that were used by the Nazis to identify Jews leading up to the Holocaust. I, just And that's it, a visual symbol that everyone recognizes, right? It the is yellow a star. potent symbol yeah. that is, it is absolutely clear. And some of these stars that are being worn in these in these anti-vaccination protests, some of them are amateurish, like the ones from France I saw where they looked like they were just simple stars cut out of yellow construction paper with handwritten messages inside. But some of them are, these are proper stars of David, a six-pointed hexagram made of yellow fabric with, with black writing inside. And in some of them, the messages of protest were written in a mock Hebrew font. So <gasps> like absolutely fully intentionally referencing these uh, these stars that were uh, used b- by the Nazis. I mean, it's just Whew. staggering. Wow, that, that, I did not know that. Yeah, I, I, I was I was pretty shocked to see those too. But then Roz also like let's lighten things up a little bit, and she sent me <laughs> a link to some news stories that I had not heard before, and this is wonderful. So goats. There's a herd. <laughs> There's an obsession with goats. goats. Social media loves goats. They love goats. goats. They are everywhere. Ah, oh, and <laughs> they are taking over a lovely little town in North Wales. So there's a herd of wild goats and I'm going to do my best to get my pronunciations right, but it's, this is Wales here. So it's a little tricky. So uh, there's a herd of wild goats that live in great Orm County park. This is a limestone headland in North Wales. And there there's a nearby uh, seaside town called um, Clendidno, Clendidno. And uh, there are so few visitors that are at this little seaside town and, you know, residents have been locked down. People are staying indoors. The, the mountain goats have decided to become city goats. And they they keep wandering down from the headlands into town and just, like, chill out. And they eat the grass <laughs> and they eat people's hedges. And they just wander about town. So people have been photographing them and, and posting videos on YouTube. These are, like, you know, waist-tall goats, shaggy white fur, um, short tails and long gnarly horns that curve back over their heads. And, you know, as I say, images of them chewing the grass in the parks and eating hedgerows in front of houses and churches. I've seen photos of them walking single file along the sidewalk past little boutique shops. Um, there's a picture of four goats walking past the upper crust sandwich shop. Um, there's a photo of these goats, um, walking up a picturesque street lined with rows of lovely white houses that have matching bay windows and peaked roofs. And they're just walking between the rows of parked cars, photos of them (laughs) gathered outside of a hairdresser's. And this one photo, they're all looking at us, which really adds to the strange humor. These goats like sitting on the sidewalk, looking at us as they have their pictures taken. Oh, there's one picture of four goats standing outside this. It might be a small apartment building, maybe an office building. And there are two people inside the building standing at the glass front door and like looking out at the goats. They're either unwilling or unable to step outside because these goats are just chilling out in front of the building. Oh, it's fantastic. (laughs) This is like lovely, crazy images. I know that some of the mass vaccination clinics are are quite notable for for their 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 visuals and some of the wistful things that are going on. So I think JJ you had some visuals from New York about that. Yeah, I mean there 
all over the place, uh, wherever these vaccination clinics need to be held, they're having to find strange places to hold them. Interesting, you know, you got to be close to the populations. Uh, and you often, sometimes you want to be indoors. Sometimes, if depending on the weather, you can be outdoors. And there are lots of event spaces that are unused, right? Convention centers, hotels, stadiums, museums, theme parks, racetracks. And so in various cities, they are using those quirky locations as their vaccination clinics. And one of my favorites, some fantastic images have come from New York City, where they have turned the American Museum of Natural History into a vaccination clinic. And for those who have never been to this iconic museum, it is a wonderful, one-of-a-kind, kind of an anachronistic museum. I always say it's a museum that belongs in a museum. <laughs> Many of the exhibits, especially the beloved heritage ones, are of the diorama variety. So replicas, big and small, set up in displays in like quasi-natural surroundings. Very, very antiquated uh this diorama scene and they're old. Like some of these are really heritage. So I always think if like, if the filmmaker Wes Anderson was ever going to design a museum, it would be the American museum of natural history in New York. And this is now a mass vaccination vaccination site in the city. And there are a handful of photos that are available to the public. One of the museum's main open galleries, the family hall of ocean life is where the, where the main clinic is and suspended in the air in this a family hall backed by a grid of false skylights is a famous life-sized model of a blue whale 94 feet long its long pointed head aimed down uh, like at a 45 degree angle its tail bent to where it's where its body begins to narrow it looks like this whale is about to dive toward the floor. And this is directly above the vaccination clinic. So <laughs> like it. right below there are these, uh, you know, little cubicles, curtained off cubicles in gray and white and a curtain, curtained off waiting room with socially distanced folding chairs. And right above this 94 foot long whale that has a bandaid on its face. Fin on its pectoral <gasps> fin, right where it would have received its shot. Oh it's really cute. Oh. And then there are other wonderful photos from the museum clinic. There are photos, um, they look like snapshots that maybe uh, healthcare workers have, have snapped of each other and then provided to various press organizations. So there's, um, I've got a photo here of two healthcare providers in these kind of translucent plastic lab coats and surgical masks. Um, there's a, a standing white woman and a seated black woman. And behind them is, a, I'm going to guess, like a one-third scale diorama of two black men in bathing suits free diving in an underwater world of colorful coral and fish. And the light <laughs> from the photographer's flash is reflecting off the glass wall that's protecting this diorama. And these two Two healthcare workers are just, you know, going about their thing, doing their <laughs> doing their business. Another nice. snapshot with a, a row of again, similarly dressed healthcare workers, and they're seated in front of a larger diorama. This diorama has an arched roof line, and it's got these 
giant blubbery walruses with wrinkled snouts and scarred leathery brown hides and 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 these foot long tusks and these walruses are just lounging on a false ice flow behind this row of of these healthcare workers and a third snapshot like perhaps my favorite that features two young women healthcare workers with medium skin tones long dark hair um, and again both of these healthcare workers in their translucent lab coats they've got safety goggles name tags they're holding maybe clipboards or tablets and they're engaged in conversation very animated conversations one's pointing to the mask the other one's like reaching out with a pen they're clearly you know figuring out their day figuring out their approach and right behind them stalks a polar bear in a display <laughs> case and there's a hand painted icy sunset North Pole backdrop behind the polar bear. It looks like the artwork from a 1980s Nordic hair metal band, their greatest hits album or something like that. It's just (laughs) phenomenal. It's a phenomenal one. We love making this podcast. If you love hearing it, perhaps you'll consider supporting its creation and development by becoming a patron. We've set up a Patreon page to help cover the costs of putting this show together. You can contribute as a listener or as a sponsor to help ensure that accessible and entertaining journalism continues to reach our community. Visit patreon.com slash talk description to me. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash talk description to me. Have feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear about? Here's how to get in touch with us. Our email address is talkdescriptiontome at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is called Talk Description to Me. Our website is talkdescriptiontome.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at talkdescription.com.